Let's turn again to that passage that we read together from the Old Testament Scriptures, the book of Ruth, chapter 1. I was asked what title I would have for this message, and uh, I said simply, a word of encouragement for the cost of living crisis. So you know what we're referring to uh, when we talk about the cost of living crisis. Here's a word uh, in season, I believe, for us. In my own personal Bible reading, I've been going through the gospel, specifically Matthew. And for a long time, I've been stuck, if that's the right word to use, uh, in Matthew chapter 1. Now, you might know that Matthew chapter 1 has a long list of names. It's called a genealogy, and it traces the family line of the Lord Jesus Christ back to Abraham. And of course, the purpose of that genealogical list is to bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we can see from that genealogy that Christ is spoken of in the Old Testament because it refers us to many Old Testament personages and a number of them, quite a number of them, are, are types and pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then, of course, it goes on to the verse 18 in that chapter, and it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. So it shows us quite a long list of people who were born, you would say, in a normal way. But when it comes to the verse 18 in that chapter, it says, Now here's something different. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. So it talks about the miraculous conception of Christ. So that, 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 that's the purpose of that genealogy, to set before us the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and his connection to David, the king of Israel, and to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. Matthew sets before us the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. So you'll see that. It's very obvious. David the King and Abraham are mentioned in that genealogy. But then you see not only the purpose of that genealogy, you see the different people in that genealogy. And it has been my purpose to to trace all those people. It's not very easy to read, at least parts of it. 
you know yourself. Genealogies, you, you maybe nearly skip over them. But I thought, wouldn't, wouldn't it be good if I could trace right through that? Now, you've got some outstanding people. In fact, in that genealogy, there's some amazing things. Because you have in it certain women. Now, usually, women do not appear in Jewish genealogies. But of course, this is not a usual genealogy. It's the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a woman who feigned herself to be a prostitute. You read of her in the book of Genesis. You have another woman who actually was a prostitute. Rahab the harlot. And then you have a woman who was a Gentile. I'm talking about Ruth. That's why we read from the book of Ruth this morning. Some people will tell you Matthew is only for the Jews. Couldn't be further from the truth. Right at the very beginning, you have Gentile people mentioned in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course you have Bathsheba who was taken in adultery. Isn't it astounding? Isn't it amazing that grace triumphs over sin? If you were looking for the family line of a king, you would want to see all these notable personages, people who were had and reputation. Well, you have some of that. But you have these ladies, and they're certainly outstanding in relation to grace, triumphing in their lives. And that's how I came um, to the book of Ruth, and I thought, well, this uh, chapter would be very good to bring to you this morning. Giving, given the circumstances that prevail today, given that many people are worried and concerned about how they're going to get through this cost of living crisis. Well, there's something for us to learn from the book of Ruth this morning in that respect. I'm going to major in the first chapter at least on Naomi. You might ask, well, is, is, is Ruth not the main character? Well, she, she is, but when you look at the first chapter in the book of Ruth, you can see that the moving spirit behind what took place in chapter 1 was Naomi. So we want to consider some things this morning about this lady called Naomi. I want you to notice in the first place Naomi's removal. Look at the opening verses. 
Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. You'll notice in these verses why this removal took place. You'll notice what it says in, 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 in verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, excuse me, there was a famine in the land. And this is the thing that concerned, concerned a lot of people, but as far as this family was concerned, it, it troubled Naomi. It troubled her. It seems from the reading of this chapter and the reference to names, uh, we think of Naomi, which is said later on, call me not Naomi, and Naomi means pleasant, call me Mara, for the Lord, Mara means bitter, for the Lord have dealt bitterly with me. She says that later on. So, so names in the Bible have an importance. I don't know why you were called what you're called. I don't know why I was called Wesley, but I was. I don't know even what Wesley means. Um, but, you know, in Bible times, people were given names that indicated something of their character. And it seems uh, from the reference to the two sons, Malon and Killian, they, they hadn't strong physical constitutions. The, the, the name Malon means sickness, and, and, and it seems from the reading of this chapter that this woman, Naomi, was really concerned. She was concerned for the well-being of her husband. He may not have had great health. She was certainly concerned for the well-being of her two sons, Malal and Gilead. They certainly did not have great health. And they were faced with a crisis. There was a famine in the land. And so this situation weighed heavily upon the heart of this woman. Now, of course, it mentions the husband, and it mentions him moving with his family into the land of Moab. But I suspect... 
And if you read the rest of the chapter, I think you'll come to that conclusion yourself that Naomi was the guiding spirit. You know what it's like. And it's natural to be this way. If there's difficulties, if there's problems in the home with the family or perceived problems or projected problems, it's usually the wife who really gives vent to her feelings and might say, well, we'll need to do something about this. And given that this woman was in a family that didn't boast great health, well, the thing to do would be to go somewhere where they'd be safer. And that was behind the removal. That was why they removed from Bethlehem, Judah. And Bethlehem, Judah means the house of praise, the house of bread and the house of praise. And they were living in a place that didn't live up to its name, so to speak, because of this famine. And they thought, well, Moab is not too far away, but we'll move there. You know what it's like. People say far off fields look green. Moab wasn't overly far off. It was far off, certainly, but it wasn't uh, overly far off. And so they moved to Moab to avert crisis. That's why there was the removal. But then notice where the removal was too, because you'll notice what it says. They they went to sojourn. Now, sojourn means to be somewhere temporarily. They went to sojourn, verse 1, in the land of, in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. Now it says in, in verse 2, gives you their names. It says in verse 2 at the end of it, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So what they set out to do was to just go for a short time, to sojourn, to avoid difficulty, to avoid the crisis. But the verse 2 tells us that they did more than sojourn. The verse 2 tells us they came into the country of Moab and continued there. They never expected, they never anticipated staying for a long time. But then that sojourn turned from a brief visit into 10 years. Because the, the verse 3 tells us that, that, that they, they, they continued in the land of Moab 10 years. 
That's verse 4, sorry, tells us that. So, what they meant to do and purposed to do and planned to do was to stay for a short time until the crisis was passed. But that short time turned into a long, drawn out ten years. They wanted to avoid difficulty. And so they moved from the house of bread and praise into the land of Moab. The land of Moab was an idolatrous country. It was where idols were aplenty. There were some, of course, in the land of Israel, but not to the extent that there were in the land of Moab. So they, they, they moved, if you like, I'll put it this way to you, they moved from the place where God would have them to stay. Bethlehem, Judah, to a place where they thought life would be easier. That's the removal of Naomi. But then I want you to notice in the second place the regrets of Naomi. As I've said to you, they, they, they thought life would be easier, uh, life would be more pleasant, but it didn't turn out to be so. Notice how lonely this woman became. The loneliness of Naomi. Look at verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. The very thing she sought to evade and avoid. They went away from from, from, from Bethlehem in order to live. But what happened was the husband died. We're given no details of his death, but we can take it that he wasn't strong physically. And something happened in that area. Look at the next verse. It says that the men, verse 4, the two sons, took themselves wives of the woman of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Verse 5, and Malon and Killian died. The husband died. And the two sons died. What she expected and anticipated happening if they stayed where they were in Bethlehem, Judah. Because of the ravages of the famine, she figured that they wouldn't get through it. And yet, when she took the step, 
to move to Moab, the very thing she feared happened to her. Now, now look at what it says. Look at what it says. In, in, in verse 3, Elimelech, Naomi's husband died. Now notice these words. She was left. She was left. But then, if you look at verse 5, Malon and Kilian also, both of them, died also, both of them. And the woman was left. See those words? The woman was left. What a chunk was taken out of her life when the husband died. You talked about a funeral yesterday and the passing of a brother who's gone to be with the Lord and his dear wife has left. What, what a chunk was taken out of the life and the nearest and the dearest goes. But then not only did the husband die, the two sons. Isn't it great that if death comes you have a family to take comfort in? And isn't it great to have children? But here, the children died. Oh, how devastating a blow this was to Naomi. She had her family and she had her friends in Bethlehem, Judah. But she moved to Moab. And the family disappeared. The husband and father was gone. And the sons were gone. Folks, picture the loneliness of this lady. But you'll not only see her loneliness if you look at the portion before us you'll see her, her, her bitterness. She became lonely and bitter. Look at verse 8. If you look at verse 8, it says this. It grieveth me much. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you Verse 9, that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed him, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And then look at the next verse. Verse 11, turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any sons left in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way. And then... She says she was much grieved. It grieveth me much. Look at verse uh, 10. It grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord 
is gone out against me. That's verse 13, by the way. It grieveth me much. Here's a woman who later on, when she went back to Bethlehem, said, call me not Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, for the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. Here's a woman who had gone from happiness and plenty to bitterness and poverty. All that she had, not only by way of family, but by way of fortune that was taken from her. She lost, in order to save herself, she lost practically everything. And she became very lonely and very bitter. You see, her, her, her removal was not only geographical, but it was spiritual as well. She not only moved away from Bethlehem, but she moved away from the God of Bethlehem. You think about it. She brought her family. She was the moving spirit behind it all. And she brought her family into a place of idolatry. She brought her family into an area where they wouldn't have been happy and they would have been vexed. The Bible talks about Lot living in Sodom and his soul was vexed daily because of what he saw. And these people would have been the same. They were in Moab. They got accustomed to Moab. They didn't feel the revulsion to idolatry that they may have felt, once had felt, when they were in Bethlehem, Judah, but now in Moab, they just accepted things. And it seemed the family went down and down and down. The father and the husband was gone. The sons were gone. And Naomi was left. That's what it says. She was left. Sad and lonely and bitter. And that came about all because it was materialism. Seemingly, it was materialism that motivated her to move to Moab. So, she certainly would have regretted what she did. Do you know, there's some very, very sad scenes in the Bible, some very distressing scenes. And if you look at this chapter, you will see one of the most distressing of scenes that there are. She returned least wanted to return to Moab, but the girls that the boys had married, 
that's another issue that we could deal with. Uh, marrying unequally. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, if you look at verse 8, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And you know, they were going along this road, the road that would have led back to the land of Israel. And they had this conversation. And in effect, Naomi's saying, there's no point in you coming with me. There's no children left in my womb. In fact, I'm too old to have a husband. And even, even if I did have a husband this very night, would you wait till children that were born were grown to marry them? There's no point in you coming with me. And as they walked along the road, they went on their way to return uh, unto the land of Judah, Judah. And Naomi's trying to persuade them to go back. But look at what it says at the end of verse 9. Then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voice and wept. How distressing. How distressing that scene is. A lonely, bitter, sad woman. She knows in her own heart it's all brought about because of herself. But here they are standing in the road on the way that would have led to Bethlehem eventually. Weeping. Weeping. The three of them embracing each other and weeping. Weeping rivers of tears. What a distressing scene that was. But you know, folks, God is good. Because not only have we here in the chapter before us to consider Naomi's removal and her regrets that she had many, but we have her return. We have her return. Look at what she heard. For it tells us in verse 6 that she heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. She heard what God had done for his people back in the land of Judah. The famine was over. 
The crisis was gone. It wasn't gone for her. For she heard all about it in the country of Moab. But she heard what the Lord had done. And folks, that's the purpose of preaching. The preaching of God's word is to let folks know what the Lord has done, what the Lord will do, what the Lord can do. It's all about the Lord. She heard how God had visited his people. So what she heard, you have in verse 6, and then if you look at verses 7 to 9, how she helped. She thought she was helping the girls. Now, we can't go through all the references, but they're here. I'll give you the references that, that, that I have down. You, you, you have verse 6, verse 8, verse 15, verse 16, verse 22. Return! That's a word that's very prominent in this chapter. So she knows she's made a mistake. She's paying for that mistake. And now she's advising the two young girls, return to your own homes. Isn't it sad that Orpah returned not only to her own home, but the verse, the chapter actually tells us she returned unto her gods. Lovely young woman, perhaps on the verge of being converted, as Ruth was. But she went back to her home and went back to her gods. And it shows you folks that a backslider, someone out of touch with the Lord, can do great harm. And that's something we learn from this. But we also learn that God overruled even the unspirituality of Naomi. This young girl, Ruth, isn't it amazing? In spite of everything that happened, she was inclined. In fact, she trusted the Lord. That, 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 that's amazing. I mean, if you go and tell somebody, the Lord has done this, the Lord has done that, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, the Lord hath afflicted me, you'd hardly expect them to be inspired. But that's why I tell you this morning, the grace of God triumphed in this situation. Because look at what this young woman said. If you look at it, it said, she says, Ruth says, entreat me not to leave thee. Whither thou goest, I will go. Verse 16. 
Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And notice these words, folks. Thy God, my God. Naomi was clear, very clear, that the hand of the Lord was gone out against her. And yet here's a young woman that says, Thy God shall be my God. Where thy diest will I die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also of all. But death part thee and me. Thy God shall be my God. That's, that's amazing. This is a young woman that trusts the Lord. In the next chapter, we read about her coming to the Lord under whose wings she had come to trust. Her astounding is the grace of God. All is not lost. It looks bad, it sounds bad, it is bad. But we have the triumph grace of God in the midst of all that difficulty. Isn't God good? Our extremity is often his opportunity to display his power and to manifest his grace. And listen, listen folks, there's more. There's more. Because later on in the chapter, later on in the chapter, Naomi says, I went out full, but the Lord hath brought me home again, empty. Look at verse 21. Now she was full, she had plenty. But when she came back, she was in poverty. But the fact is, Look at it. The Lord hath brought me home again. Isn't that great? Yes, she was wounded. Yes, she was weary. Yes, she was sad. And in bitterness of soul. But she could say, through it all the Lord has brought me back the Lord hath brought me home again aren't those words lovely home what sweeter place is there for you and your own home it's the place that you love. It's the place where you're at ease. It's the place, even if you are in difficulty, it's the place that you want to be. Home! The Lord hath brought me home again. And notice, actually, when this happened, because when they returned... They returned out of the country of Moab, the very last verse. They came to Bethlehem in the beginning. 
the barley harvest. It was a new beginning, certainly for Ruth, and indeed for Naomi. For if you read the rest of the book, we don't have the time to do that, but if you read the rest of the book, you see how God began to work, and the Lord moved, and hopes restored, and the joy restored. And this young damsel, for that's all she was, becomes a very outstanding personage in Jewish history and in the genealogy of the Lord in Matthew chapter 1. See what the Lord can do. We ought not to lose heart. We ought not to lose hope. Maybe you're in that position that Naomi was in. You're looking at the circumstances. You're looking at the cost of living crisis. And you're not looking to the Lord. That's why we sung that hymn this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May the Lord bless his word to your hearts this morning.